Well, good morning. My name is Casey, and it's an honor to be back with you today. I was not scheduled to preach this week. Uh, for those of you that are joining us for the first time or first time in a while, I preached last week, and Pastor Marcus was out of town. And then on Tuesday morning, Marcus was like, hey, what would it take uh, for me to shoot a video of my sermon and have you produce it and uh, put it up for me? I said, what's going on? And he's like, there's a chance I might have COVID. And, uh, and he just wanted so badly to be back with us. And I was like, well, just so you know, I'd be glad to continue this series, Should You Feel Worse? He's like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And I'm like, well, here's what you need to do, set it up and everything else. Wednesday morning, I get a text, yeah, uh, I'm going to take you up on your offer. And then his wife, Wendy, texts me, and she's like, Marcus needs to take you up on your offer. So... Uh, so here I am again. I'm honored to be here with you. Uh, I actually, my wife and, and uh, daughters and I are members here at Redeemer, so I'm not just some guy answering a Craig, Craigslist ad or something for those of you visiting. I actually belong here and I've done this before, but, um, but as a pastor, Marcus uh, really longs uh, to be with us again. He was so upset and so I, when he was feeling so bad, I said, hey, why don't you just shoot a welcome video and pray over us and all that. And so that's where the video came from along the way. And so he really, really desires to be with you. Uh, he truly is a, a wonderful pastor and we're honored to have him lead us. And so we're thankful for God and he does seem to be on the mend. And so we'll continue to pray for them to heal. Uh, if you have a Bible with you this morning, we're continuing our series in 2 Timothy. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Last week we taught through 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, and, and Paul was giving kind of final orders, a final writing, a final send-off letter to his disciple Timothy, gauging him and uh, helping him gauge the climate of the times, warning him that things would progressively get worse and encouraging him um, that while people may lead people astray in false truth and false gospel, that ultimately those who know the truth will persevere and will be able to see those type of things. We talked about how those who are giving into the way of the flesh and the way of the world, speaking in the church, they're going to uh, be surrounded by a brokenness of relationships. They'll have broken relationships with God, broken relationships with themselves, meaning re, uh, misreading who and how they're meant to be. They'll have broken relationships with others, and they'll have broken relationships in regard to created things, stuff, primarily. And so we see that in, the, in that passage leading up to this. And so Paul now comes up saying, hey, that's going to be the way of those who may appear to have some semblance of godliness, but they're lacking any power and they use that semblance of godliness to lead other people astray. And so we pick up today in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. And as these final instructions are coming to bear for Timothy, letting him know that, hey, while there will be false teachers, and while there will be people who go astray, and while there will be people who give an appearance of godliness but lack any power, that there's this beautiful picture of the fruit of discipleship that is founded on the power of the Holy Spirit and rooted in the Word of God. Paul is acknowledging the power of the Spirit while also honoring and acknowledging the frailty of the flesh. And so as we'll see as Paul gives this encouragement pointing Timothy back to what he has seen and what he has lived and what he has been taught and what the Word of God says... We can see that the goal of this type of discipleship is ultimately to encourage and instruct others to follow Jesus. And not some Jesus that we make up, but Jesus as He's revealed in the Word of God. 
And so we pick up in verse 10. In contrast to the false teachers, to those who are appearing to be believers but not really, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. We see Paul describing this, this life as that, hey, our life as followers of Jesus is a lifestyle of discipleship. That we are pointing other people towards someone or something with the way that we live. I often say, what gospel is our life actually preaching? What good news are we living towards or living into? Here Paul is saying, hey, you have seen how I lived. You have watched my teaching. And if you just take this segment of Scripture, you might say, man, this Paul guy is pretty full of himself. But fortunately, we have the wholeness of Scripture to understand Paul's teaching, where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That as Paul is endeavoring to follow Jesus, he, he is endeavoring to do so with his life on display that those in whom he interacts with can see what it looks like to love the Lord and to follow and obey the Lord and to be transformed by the renewing of, the, of his mind by worshiping rightly the Lord. Right. And so Paul's saying is, hey, you have followed me, you have seen this teaching, you've seen the way I've ordered my life, you've seen the direction, the aim of my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. It's interesting to me when I watch preachers on television, which I don't do very often because I tend to sin, especially on certain channels. But it's interesting to me that the gospel that people are selling is like, hey, if you just believe the right things and do the right things, you'll be very healthy, very wealthy, and you won't have any troubles in this life. I don't find that in the Bible. I see that the Lord does bless some to be a blessing to others, but that the blessing of the Lord ultimately isn't stuff or health. The ultimate blessing of the Lord is the Lord himself. The presence of God in our life, the transforming power of his gospel, the filling of his spirit, the guidance that he gives us through his word. So that whether we have much or we have little, we have learned to be content. And so what Paul is guiding Timothy towards in this, pa this passage is like, hey, Model me as I model Christ. And, and part of us, hey, fellow humans, is this. We're not perfect. We mess up. So part of our discipleship of our children in our homes, mutual discipleship of spouses, discipleship in community, discipleship in life and in business or in ministry together is part of the way we disciple each other is how we own when we mess up and how we repent and how we apologize, and how we endeavor to go a different direction. I think a lot of times in discipleship, people think discipleship is, let me show you how to be perfect, as I am perfect, and there was one human that was perfect. His name's Jesus. The rest of us jokers have a tendency to wander, to go astray, to take things that are bad and call them good. To take things that are good and call them bad. We have a tendency to pervert. We have a tendency to deceive. We have a tendency to fall short. 
we have a tendency to be selective of what scriptures we like and what scriptures we don't like. That's why in community with God and community with each other, that discipleship isn't about waiting till I get perfect and show other people how to be perfect. It's owning the reality that I'm not, but there is one who is, that I've been given all that I need to follow and grow as I do so. And so as we get this realignment, as we see Paul bringing Timothy, saying like, hey, you've seen how I suffered. He doesn't say, you've seen how I suffered perfectly. It doesn't say that. One of the ways that I, I've, I, as a parent, I have tons of grace for my own parents now. Because parents, we don't know what we're doing most of the time. And we can lie in front of our kids. Oh yeah, we've totally got this figured out. But we're just, we're praying and winging it and reading books and watching television and going to Walmart and observing what not to do, things like that. So, I mean, I could, I could hear Paul perhaps saying, I don't want to add to Scripture, but follow me as I follow the Lord and also do opposite of the things I do that mess things up. And one of the things that brought me kind of liberation from being frustrated with my, my folks, which I think every young adult gets at times, is there are certain things they did very well. There are certain things that they didn't do so hot. I'm going to really try to model what they did well and learn to do opposite of what they didn't. That's what I tell my kids. Braylon, anything you see mom and I do really awesome that honors the Lord, awesome. If you see something that we do that doesn't honor the Lord, please don't follow in our footsteps. One of the ways you honor your parents is sometimes by doing opposite of their sin. Right? So that they're not leading others astray. Right? That this idea, and so as Paul is bringing this idea, he says, this persecutions I endured, but, but notice at the end what he says, at the end of verse 11, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And even though while writing this, Paul was awaiting his final execution, that still was a rescue. Because he knew this was not his home. He would always be rescued. Well, how does he know this? How in the word does he know this? Let's pick up in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a good news. Who wants to sign up today? We can pitch the whole, hey, trust in Jesus, don't go to hell and have internal torment separated from God, and don't suffer. I, I had a friend that was not a believer who said, that sounds like a really good bargain. I have to say a few words that I believe Nothing really changes so that I don't have to go to an eternally bad place. And if just there's a slight chance there's a bad place, I don't want to go there. But that's not the full invitation of Christ. The full invitation of Christ is take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Here's another add-on, an upsell for you. You will be persecuted if you desire to live a godly life. You will be persecuted. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, mind you, these sacred writings of which he's speaking towards are not the New Testament canon that we currently have. It's actually the Old Testament writings. That's what he's referencing to. That the teachings of the Old Testament make you wise to the point of being able to see that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Lord. The promised Messiah that was told about in the Law and Prophecy. Pointing you as you grow in there, being able to be certain now in knowing the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that you can go all in, put all your chips in there. Discipleship also prepares Christ followers to remain faithful in all situations. It's just as easy to become unfaithful when things are going very well as it is when things are going very poorly. But specifically here, he's talking about persecution. Now listen to me. I know some Christians who are persecuted not because of what they stand for, but because how they stand for it. Right? There's a difference of being faithful to God and obeying God and following God there's a difference between that and just being a jerk for Jesus. And we, we've got to be mindful that, hey, the Lord doesn't need extra help. His teachings on their own are difficult. And I would dare say, without the Holy Spirit, impossible. So if we are truly forgiven in Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, and we seek to, in humility, honor and obey the Word of God, there will come persecution in some form or fashion. Some people being mean or rude or judgmental or harsh or severe and using God's name have taken the Word of God and made it into a machete, not a scalpel. Yes, the Word of God is like a double-edged sword. It, it separates, it slices, it cuts through. But we don't, it doesn't need our help a ton. Amen. That doesn't mean that we're not required at, at times to say hard things because we love people. And it doesn't mean that we don't stand for what is true because we love the Lord and want to obey the Lord. But the reason that we stand for what is right is not because we need to be right, but because we have been made right. And because we have been made right, we want others to enjoy the benefits of knowing God, loving God, and being forever rescued by God. And if we pursue it that way, there will be times where we stand for what is right, even with humility. And we will be persecuted. And so Paul is giving his disciple Timothy some instruction on how best to persevere through the face of persecution. So how? Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Continue on living out what you've learned. That doesn't mean we don't ask questions or don't get refined. 
But one thing that's making it very clear throughout Scripture is that we're not intended to do that in isolation or on Reddit or in an obscure anonymous Facebook group. It's in the life together in community as we sort it out and as we ask questions of it. And, and I believe it's important to ask questions of the Scripture and to press into the Scripture. The challenge is a lot of times when I visit with people who are trying to twist the Scripture, it's often because it, they're trying to mold it to their own preferences. And you've heard me say this before, but we have a tendency to create a God in our image in whom we prefer to worship, rather than aligning our lives towards the God in whom we were created in His image. And so, if, if God always agrees with you when you open the Bible, I'm a little afraid of how you're reading the Bible. Because my way of life is frequently offended and realigned based upon what God is teaching. Hey, take care of orphans and widows in their distress. He's saying, hey, go to those who can't immediately pay you back, praise you online, tweet about you, post about you, write articles about you, bring you new leads for your business, make you feel better about you. No, 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 no. Hey, if you love me, you want to follow me, take care of the poor. Take care of the orphans. Take care of the widows. Oh, that's kind of inconvenient, isn't it? What's the ROI, return on investment? Well, the Word of God says it's great, but it's not instant gratification. To deposit, you can't really draw from unless the Lord so sees fit. But he's giving this instruction saying like, hey, what you've learned and firmly believed. If you're having a hard time obeying the Lord when things are going okay, it's going to be real tough when things go wrong. It's kind of like a martial artist when they train, they train over and over and over again so that when trouble comes, they're able just to instinctively react. As opposed to, you know, like, oh, I went to karate class once, watch karate kick, I'll do a crane kick if a mugger comes, and that's it. It's like me trying to do a crane kick. Well, if I'm, if I'm crane kicking their knee, it should be fine. But it's this idea of like, hey, no, 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 what you firmly believed. And so one of the ways that we grow in our belief and understanding is through life together in community, through understanding the Word of God, by studying the Word of God, by allowing the Word of God to do its own surgery on our soul and let the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, make transformation occur. So continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, so there seems to be some credibility based upon in whom we've been learning. One of the ways I stop being so disappointed when someone who's impacted me spiritually makes a mistake is by rehumanizing that person. We have a tendency to dehumanize faithful, godly people to the point where we isolate them, and if they're not mature or grown, then they're going to start living into that false self. The reality is, is Pastor Marcus is a wonderful pastor, but Pastor Marcus is human. John Piper, John MacArthur, whomever, Johns you like, to, John Stott, any other godly John that you follow, still human, still imperfect. 
y'all do life with me. So you're like, yeah, we know. It's a miracle you're standing. But where do we get it? This, in how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith in Christ Jesus. As we are teaching Bible stories to our children, as we're rocking babies and praying over them in the nursery, as we're signing up to teach Sunday school to three-year-olds who have the attention span of a gnat, you're like, we've got to teach a Bible story to them. God is good. God is good. Okay, we're done for the day. Let's rock. I used to bribe 7th and 8th grade boys, just to be honest with you, when I was a youth worker. Like I would say, if you can pay attention for 15 minutes and fake like you believe or at least want to interact with this, we can then go play football. They were the most godly 7th and 8th graders for 15 minutes I had ever met in my entire life. A couple of them are pastors or have been pastors now. I'm not certain I would write a book on bribery in the form of discipleship or discipleship in the form of bribery. I'm not certain I would like replicate that, but I would say like, hey, even when they're young, even when they're not latching on, when you're reading these Bible stories, when you're telling Bible stories, when you're sharing your faith, when mom and dad, when you mess up and instead of making excuses for why you messed up, you humble yourself and say, I just blew it. I'm so sorry. Yes, you're still grounded. But I didn't handle it well. But you're still grounded. Doesn't take away from what you did. And just because you sinned because I sinned, you still sinned. If you sin because someone else sins against you first, that's still sin. That's a sidebar. I'm getting ADHD on you. All right, here we go. This idea, the sacred writings which you're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ, lean on the Word. The Word of God proclaims what is true that illustrates and illuminates and reveals the truth of our Messiah Jesus that exposes your sin and your brokenness. It, it reveals the fact that we are a bankrupt people that are needy for saving. And that there is a loving, generous, right, and just God who is able to destroy us, but instead crushed His own Son on a cross so that by trusting in that sacrifice we might be forgiven and accepted. That truth from the Word, that, that hope that we have from the time that some of us were very little, another of us, and not until our teenage adult years, but that ongoing, recurring trust in the benevolent kindness of our God and our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Christ-centered discipleship must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Scriptures. It must rely on the Holy Scriptures. Mentorship, if you're just a good mentor, you're, you're bringing your opinions and your experiences to bear on people and guiding people in a way to go. But this idea of discipleship isn't just giving these ideas and thoughts or what I think. It's, it's going back to the Scriptures and living out the Scriptures. I remember one young man was complaining to me about how the men, older men in the church, weren't really discipling him. I said, well, what do you mean? This, this guy knew the Word. He knew the Bible. He, he was right in every which way. His personality type inclined him to being right and loud about being right. And so he would complain that, well, man, they meet with me every week, but man, they're, they're not discipling me. I said, well, what do you mean? 
Man, they're, just, they're not discipling me. What, what do you mean? Well, they're, they're not studying the Bible with me. I said, well, are you studying the Bible on your own? Yeah. Do y'all talk about scriptures? Well, sometimes. So I said, so discipleship to you is just information gathering. Not taking that information and having it integrate into your everyday life. Not allowing it to change the way you interact with your spouse or with your children or with your finances or your own sexuality or your own spending habits or your own work habits or the way you work with those who are different than you. Doesn't, that doesn't matter. And he's like, well, they're still not discipling me. About six months later, he came to me and he was like, I was wrong, I was being discipled. At least he was honest. Some people need to know the word. If you're new in the faith, you don't know the Bible, then yeah, you need to know basics of, of the Christian faith. I believe God can save us before we have all the right answers. I believe he does. But then he gives us his spirit and his word and hopefully a church community that says like, hey, this is a Bible. Here's the Old Testament, here's the New Testament. This is Jesus. Here's some basic beliefs. Of those basic beliefs, here's how it impacts our relationship with God, with each other, and walks people through that. And we can lean on the whole of Scripture because the Scriptures are God-breathed. The, the very word and breath that was spoken to create our galaxy and many galaxies. That took the dirt and made it into man and then from the rib and some dirt made woman. The same word that was spoken that charged his son to come and incarnate among us. The same word that instructed the guidance of affirmation and approval and validation of Jesus. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The same word that wasn't spoken but withheld when his son was crushed on a cross. The same word that was spoken that powerfully rose his son from the dead. The Lord doesn't say, hey, come to me all you who are weary and you'll find wet rest and then go figure it out and do what feels best to you. He gives us a guide. He gives us a way to go. The Word of God is useful. The Word of God is able to teach us and to transform us. The true authoritative power of the Scripture comes from the character and power of God. So we must not orient our faith and our, our life and our religion based upon trying to live by a false trinity of Holy Father, Holy Son, and Holy Scripture. We live by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who has given us the Holy Scriptures as our guide, as our instructor, as our tutor, as our helper to know how to rightfully live and grow. The good news is, is God did not see fit to remain a mystery to His people so he revealed himself through the inspiration of people at times to write his word. All scripture, the entire Bible is a consistent story pointing to one hero, and that hero is Jesus. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, we see one story unfolding and one hero revealed, and his name is Jesus. The Scripture is helpful for teaching. That's why we gather on Sundays to dig into the Word of God together and to understand the Bible. And that's why we gather in community groups to sort it out and work it out. How does this fit in everyday life? And that's why we have Sunday school to get and learn and grow in our knowledge and understanding. This teaching of the Word isn't just so we can become arrogant, knowledgey people. It's that we might understand what it means to know God and to be a part of the Great Commission. It allows us to know God more. 
It also is useful for reproof. Literally a confrontation against false teachers. How do you know something's false if you don't know what's true? If you don't know what's true, then you, can, you just go on gut or feel or whatever. And maybe sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. But if you know the Word of God, you can know when someone says, God only helps those who help themselves, is not biblical. That's actually opposite. God, in fact, helps those who cannot help themselves. That's why He's worshipped and we're not. You're like, no, 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 my grandma told me that. Mamma was sweet and probably could cook well. And God bless her in all due respect, but Mamma's wrong. God isn't in the business of just being an additive. He is the only source. doesn't mean we don't work hard, but when we work hard, we don't take all the credit because we understand the one who made us and empowers us and strengthens us and gives us. Gave us all we need. Correction? Guess what? I need to be corrected sometimes, and so do you. Occasionally, you're wrong. And the Word of God is a great source to bring that correction. Again, let's not act like a two-year-old having a temper tantrum with a machete. Like some believers are known to do with the Bible. At the same time, let's not treat the Bible like a foam noodle. It's a scalpel. It's a sword. It's useful for separating bone and sinew and and meat. It's a useful tool. People love to use the word, well, I don't judge, you don't judge. Don't judge. Matthew 7 says don't judge. What other scriptures do you know? Matthew 7, don't judge. Well, what it says is do not judge lest you too be judged. In the same measure by which you judge, you will be judged as well. Before you go out and point, point out a speck in your brother's eye, take the big old log out of your own eye. So it's not saying, don't judge. It's saying like, hey, get your home in order first. Be self-aware. Be humble. Go with the care of saying, hey, well, you got something in your eye. I've had big old junk in my eye. We're in this together. Christ is our only hope. But hey, that way is ultimately going to ruin you. But no, don't judge. Don't judge. That's not biblical. I think Christians at times we get so big on our preferences and we're so strong in our preferences that we use the churchy word conviction. Well, the Lord told me that we have to have white carpet only. No, he didn't. I literally had a guy call me one time and said, the Lord told me I, I need to divorce my wife. I was like, oh my gosh, did she commit adultery or abandon you? No, no. But this other lady is more godly. And I'm like, I wanted to stop you there, brother. I know for a fact the Lord did not tell you that. And I walked him through some scriptures. I wasn't his favorite person that day. But after that, he trusted me. What does the Bible say? And just because I've been to seminary and I have a seminary degree doesn't mean that I'm more able to know God than you are. If you're not good at reading, get an audio version of the Bible. I'm really sad when I hear a bunch of men say, well, I just don't read. Well, that's fine. You don't have to read everything, but read the Bible. Know the Word of God. Tell me you can't do a chapter a day. Go to the Gospel of John, read one chapter a day. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply? What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply? If you do not know how to read and you cannot afford an audio Bible, let me know. I will purchase one for you for a limited time. 
but it's also good for training in righteousness. What is the right way to live? How do we be kind to one another? How do we be tenderhearted? How do we forgive? How do we point other people to Jesus? How do we save our money and spend our money and give our money? And even if there aren't specific prescriptions throughout Scripture, there are guidelines of how we do things. Guess what? If you don't know anything of the Word, and you're like, I'm new to faith, I don't know what to do, let me start with a great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and all your soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Let me throw a little whammy to bring some nuance for you. Do for others as you would have them do for you. Start there. That'll actually carry you a ways. And then as you fill in the gap and, and put some meat on that skeleton and build on that foundation, am I loving the Lord? Does this love someone the way I love myself? And am I doing for them what I wish they would do for me? Not to try to force them to do what I want them to do, but because Christ has done for me what I needed done. Doesn't mean we stop there, but that's at least a place to start. It's a training. The Word of God is useful in training us in righteousness. How does one live in response to the grace of God through Jesus? How do we live? It, the, the Word tells us and teaches us. Why? So that the man, and I would add, woman of God might be complete and equipped. We haven't been left alone saying, good luck. In the same way that Hamare Ministries goes into these, these villages in Africa that have come to faith, literally here's how it happens in Africa without pastoral training. They come to faith. Can you read? Okay, awesome. Here's the Bible. You're the pastor. And the Lord is kind through all that, but when the false teaching of prosperity gospel and other false teachings come in, if they don't know the Word of God, it's not there. And so Hamare for 15 years now has been going over and training pastors, training African pastors who are then equipped to train other African pastors who can train other African pastors and have influence over thousands of people through their congregations. Training them up and rightly knowing how to use the Word of God. Why? Because the goal of discipleship is to encourage and instruct others to follow Jesus. The Lord has not left us on, his, on our own. He has given to us His Holy Spirit that sustains us, that carries us, that fills us. He's given us His Word that informs us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it leads us. As you grow in the knowledge and application of the Word of God, it should produce a humility not an arrogance. A compassion for those who have gone wayward. Not an arrogance. Not judgment. Because but by the grace of God, we too could go the same way. Let's pray.